All righty. First Samuel, and um, the goal is a lot. Uh, chapters 8 through 12. I just started studying and I couldn't stop. So that's where I stopped studying. And I don't know if that's how far the study is going to go, but that's what I'm, I'm thinking. So as we come into 1 Samuel chapter 8, we really hit a, a significant transition point in the life of Israel. We've seen Israel, uh, of course, led by Moses and then by Joshua and then by several judges coming up to the last judge, who is Samuel, uh, that prophet, uh, that little boy prophet that was taken to the house of the Lord when he had just been weaned and his mother Hannah committed him to the Lord and he's proven to be a faithful uh, follower and leader. Uh, we believe the year is around 1051 BC and Samuel is 65 to 70 years old. So just kind of a little time stamp, right, of, of where things are. These chapters are going to show us the transition from the days of the judges into the days of the kings. And sadly, Israel is going to reject the rule and the ways of the Lord to be more like the world. So they're like, we are tired of the Lord. Now, they're not going to say it exactly like this, but it's clear that this is the way God takes it. And Samuel, we are tired of God bringing in men to lead us. We want our own man. We want a king. Here's the interesting thing. God has already prophesied through Father Jacob when he was ready to pass, that Judah would have the scepter, that there would be a king that would rise up from the tribe of Judah. It's already in the mind of God. It's already in the heart of God. He knows where this is going to go. And of course, Jesus is a, uh, you know, this, this descendant, right, that is going to uh, sit upon the throne of David one day and rule and reign. But the Lord knows where he's headed with this, so it's kind of interesting. So, well, you prophesied there was going to be a king, and there's warnings to the kings in the law, but they have no king. So God's got a timing, and God's got a plan, and God's got a man. They don't care. They want it now, and they want it to be like, I mean, they're not quoting Scripture to them. They're not drawing upon, Lord, you said through you know, the, our father Jacob that there would be one to come from, from the tribe of Judah. Lord, you have put it in the law of Moses of how the king should behave and conduct himself. Lord, is it time? That's not their prayer request. It is a demand. And so you can kind of work through the, the tension of them rejecting uh, the Lord's plan for a king and yet knowing that it was always in God's plan to give them a king. And you can, you can have fun with that. It'll, it'll spin your mind around. But we'll begin there in chapter 8 as we see Israel seeks a king. Verse 1, now it came to pass when Samuel was old. So if you're 65 to 70, biblically you are old. I didn't say that. So um, just it's the word of God. I'm glad I'm not old. Got a long ways to go, baby. So, anyway, the name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Who does that sound like? Hophni and Phinehas, yeah. You know, so you have a, let's just call him a, a mediocre man in Eli that has terrible sons, and you have a man of God in Samuel, and he has terrible sons. Each and every one of us must make the decision to follow after the Lord. As parents, we do the best we can to point them towards Jesus and encourage them to follow the Lord, but ultimately, it has to be their decision. And so this had to be a heartbreak. We don't get any more commentary than this, but it had to have been a heartbreak for him. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. This is kind of an interesting. So all the elders gathered. There was some framework of, by which the elders, the leaders of the nation could come together. And they said to him, look, um, we can't stand your sons. <laughs> They're terrible. And we're tired of having leaders like this. There is nothing wrong with that statement. The problem is going to be that they're then going to come up with their own way. You know, so the, the fact that they had terrible leaders and they didn't want them, that's not the problem. Um, but they said there in verse 5, Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. There's the problem, right? 
But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. A good thing to do when your heart is broken, when you are shocked, when you feel the weight. And you can imagine how Samuel would have felt. It's not hard to imagine this. Man, my sons, what have they done? And now they're causing the elders to turn away from following the Lord. And they, they, they want a king. They want to be like the, the, the nations around them. And you can imagine this. And so um, he doesn't speak. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And that is a good example for us. Sometimes it's just better not to speak. You get the news, and it's better just to say, I'll get back to you. I'll get back to you. I need an answer now. You don't want my answer now. I got to go pray. I've got to go spend some time in the presence of the Lord. And maybe tonight you have a heavy heart wondering how the circumstances of your life and family are going to work out. Maybe like the heavy heart that Samuel would have had when he heard this. What in the world am I going to do? What should I do? They're asking me for something. I, I can see why they want it, but it's not right that they want this. And so he goes away and he, he prays and he seeks the Lord. This is what we all need to learn to do is to go and pray and seek the Lord. And is, like, I, I'm sure I'm not the only one that can end up being in a place where there's a, you're feeling that distress or there's something that's you know, perturbed you or you're feeling a heaviness or, or just something is like on you and yet you know you should go and pray and yet you're still sitting there thinking about your heaviness. You're still thinking about the thing that's perturbing you, the thing that doesn't seem to have a clear path, and you just continue to ponder that, and you know you should go pray, and yet we don't go pray. There's a difference between knowing that you should pray and praying. It's obvious, but how many times in my life have I found myself in that place where, yeah, I know that, I know that, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, I'm going to pray, and yet you kind of just sit and you, you, you wear the burden, you wear the heaviness. And so if you're here tonight with a burden and, and you're heavy and you know you should have been praying and you haven't done that, then right now, right now, give it to the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm, I, I, I'm seeking you. Speak to me tonight. I'm tired of carrying this. I turn it over to you, Lord. Let him place a yoke and a burden on you that is light and easy. This is what Jesus says. My burden, it's light. My yoke, it is easy. Verses 7 through 9, um, the Lord said to Samuel, heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. So give them what they want. For they've not rejected you, but they've rejected me. Now, I, I would imagine if Samuel would have said, why are you rejecting God? They would have said, we're not rejecting God. But it doesn't matter what we say. <laughs> what matters is what does God say? They're rejecting me. And you get a sense of how he was feeling. They've not rejected you. So you can feel this, that Samuel would have gone before them feeling rejected. And the Lord's like, don't worry about it, Samuel. It's me that they're rejecting. They don't want me to reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them. And show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So they're going to get what they want, but it's going to come with consequences. You know, you can throw a temper tantrum before the Lord because you don't have what you want. And he might just give you what you're throwing a temper tantrum for. Be careful. It's interesting. Israel's failure is not a failure that stops and ends here in 1 Samuel 8. It goes, goes on in every chapter, if you will, it's a hyperbole, but in every chapter through the rest of the Bible and in every day of man's history, there are people that say, we do not want him to reign over us. We don't want to have his rule over. Jesus is a king and he rules over his people. We are his people. Some people hear that and they'll say, we will not have this man, they actually said it, of the king of kings, right? We will not have this man to reign over us. We're not going to accept him as our king. And people don't want that. They don't want that lordship. And here it is. The Lord will not force himself upon you. You want to kick off the rule of the Lord? You can. It's just not advisable. It's not a good idea that you would say, I don't want what the Lord has for me. 
How sad that people don't want Jesus to be their Lord. Satan is so good at propaganda, isn't he? I mean, he is so good. He is the prince of the power of the air. He knows how to spin a circumstance, a situation, a feeling, an offense. He knows how to spin so much of it to get people to say, and I want nothing to do with Jesus because that lady was mean to you, because that guy was ripped you off, and you want nothing to do with Jesus? Did Jesus rip you off? <laughs> was Jesus mean to you? Did Jesus say something ugly to you? No. Well, then why are you holding him accountable for the very thing that he stands to condemn? And this is what's going on here. This is what's going on with the nation of Israel. He uh, is being rejected even in a much greater sense. It's like a foreshadowing of the rejection that is going to happen when the king of kings is walking on the earth, the chief cornerstone. Reminds me of how the Lord comforts Samuel of what Jesus said to his disciples. He goes, they rejected me and they're going to reject you because they don't like me. And if they didn't like me, don't think that they're going to like you anymore because I'm a little better than you. So just be prepared. This is what's going to come. So in verses 10 through 18, Samuel indeed warns Israel of the trouble that the king would bring. And I'm not going to read all these verses, but in verse 13, he says, He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, your olive groves, give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And we're all saying, if it was only a tenth, if it was only 10%, wow, what a dream that would be. But um, he says, hey, they're going to take this. And you're going to take your male servants, your female servants. You can take a tenth of your sheep, verse 17. Verse 18, and you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. You're going to bring this upon you, but when it comes upon you, you're going to have to deal with the consequences that you have brought by doing this. They wanted a strong, let me read you this quote. They, they want some strong and bold who can lead them into battle. Samuel tries to talk them out of this, pointing out that the establishment of a monarchy will bring centralized government, lots of taxes, as well as forced service in the army and at court. The people refuse to listen to Samuel. They want their king. God tells Samuel, go ahead and give them a king. So this is what it's going to cost them to be like all the other nations. And they're going to have to live with their foolish decision. You know, God is gracious and merciful. We're going to see that. God is going to be gracious and merciful to them. And if, you, if we get that far tonight, you'll see the grace and mercy of God towards them, even in the decision that he says, but you're going to wear it. You're going to wear the consequences. You're going to have to, you're, you're making this decision, and once you make it, you're going to have to bear it out. But that does not mean that God's grace and mercy is not still going to be shown to them, but they are going to have to deal with the, live with the consequences of their decisions. It's an interesting thing. Sometimes we can make decisions that will bring negative consequences upon us, and yet those consequences go away. I'm sure all of us could probably make a long list of those things in our life. And it's like, wow, we've moved on by that. And I don't have to, I'm not walking in the, in the shame of it. I'm not walking in the guilt of it. God's grace and mercy is there. Nor am I even walking in the consequences of it. It was just a bad decision that I made. But then there are decisions that you make, that you live with. This is one that they were going to have to live with. Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but we will have a king over us. Okay, when they say no, but, what are they referencing? They're referencing Yahweh. They're referencing the Lord. You, you know, you, don't, you shouldn't be doing this. You, you have one that is leading you, and you should not make these decisions, and there's going to be consequences for all of this. And they said, no, but we will have our king over us. We'll, we'll take it that we also may be like the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all these words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice, make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, 
Every man go to a city. You know, it's an interesting to ponder, thing to ponder, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna throw a couple of things out there, but it'd be a great discussion, I think, to have and just ask the question, in what ways do we often want to be like the world around us? You know, what are the ways in which we do? No, they're not saying, hey, we want idols like them. Okay, sometimes they did say that. So it's not something that's like grossly out of place. It's a little more subtle than that. But it has the same negative consequences of rejecting the lordship of, of, of Yahweh over them. In what ways are we saying, no, we want to be like the world around us? I think sometimes it's like, I want the pleasures that the world has. The pleasures that I see them having, those are the things that I want. I want to have pleasure like the world. Yeah, that's what you see when the party is going on. <laughs> what you don't see is what's happening when the party's over. And, the, and you're not seeing what it's like when they're laying their head on the pillow. And you're not seeing them dealing with the consequences of that illicit pleasure that they're seeking after. I want freedom to use time and energy and my money the way I want to. It's not freedom. <laughs> it's not freedom. It's bondage to live according to the dictates of your own flesh. So, yeah, explore the question. In what ways do we often see either myself or the, the church around us saying, hey, we don't want this king to be over us. We want to be like the world around us. So God says, give them what they want, Samuel. Psalm 106, verse 15 says, and he gave them the request, but sent leanness into their soul. This is not the first time and it's not the last time that God will give them what they want. So just because you end up winning the argument doesn't mean you won. <laughs> you can win the argument with God and you can force the issue and you can get what you want. And the Spirit of God is, is telling you no and you feel that there's not a free path in front of you, but you ignore the Spirit of the Lord. You ignore maybe clear teachings from Scripture. You ignore godly men and women around your life speaking into your life. And you ignore these things and then you get it. And he gave them their request but sent leanness into their souls. It's like when they craved meat. And God said, you want meat? I'll give you meat. I'll give you so much meat that you're going to throw it up through your nostrils. There's your meat. There's your smorgasbord. Have fun with it. And so we, we must be careful that we don't give in to those, those cravings because there's a leanness. But the Lord doesn't want to give us leanness. He wants to give us what? Abundance. I've come that you might have life and you might have that more abundantly. When we follow the Lord, we will follow him into the land of abundance. And you know, often what we're dealing with, this is an interesting thing. Often what we're dealing with is not the judgment of the Lord. It's the judgment of our own foolish decisions. I think the Lord does judge. I mean, we've got a Bible that tells us that he does that. But sometimes it's not even the judgment of the Lord. It's just the judgment of our own foolish decisions that we're, we're, we're feeling and we're, we're walking out. So this is where they're headed. Chapter 9. Um, so who is this king going to be? Well, verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becheroth, the son of Aphia, a Benjamite, a mighty man of power, and he had a choice and handsome son whose name was Saul. There was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Well, there's your guy. It's the guy that looks better and is taller and stronger and bigger because that's the way a king should look. That's who we want our warrior to be. Israel was not thinking in spiritual terms at this point. They're thinking in fleshly terms. And God gives them a king that fits their fleshly desires. This is what you want? Then that's what you'll get. You'll get a guy that fits those desires that you have. Now, when God chooses David to be king, we find out that he chooses David because of his what? His heart. As a man after God's own heart. And he was so unimpressive that he wasn't even brought to the lineup to choose the king. 
I mean, he's like, yeah, you don't know. Do you have another son? Yeah, but you don't want to see him. He's kind of the runt of the litter, and we don't really, yeah, we got him, but I mean, no, I want to see him. And that's whom the Lord chose. And no doubt, David and Saul stand in great contrast between esteeming the fleshly things versus the spiritual things. These two evaluation processes that we're going to see them go through, I, I think they're meant to cause us to stop and think. Luke 16, 15, I often quote this verse, but here, this is from the New Living Translation. Then he said, Jesus said to them, you like to appear righteous in public, but God knows your hearts. What this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Be careful when you want what the world wants because you might be selecting the thing that God finds detestable. When Paul was writing to the Galatians and they were beginning to drift away, he wrote to them, Galatians 3.3, How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in this spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Isn't that like an appropriate verse for what Israel is doing right now? They began in the spirit, right? I mean, the, the spirit of God delivered them and led them out of, of uh, Egypt and led them through the wilderness. And here they are. And now they're like, yeah, we want to be like the world. We want to be like the world. That's what we want. And we must be careful that we continue to walk in the spirit, that we continue to rest upon the things of the Lord. And we don't allow the things of the flesh to, or the things of the world to become what we seek after. If we do this, Oh, how foolish. I mean, really, I mean, how stupid can you be? You think that you began in the Spirit and you're going to be able to finish the spiritual walk-off in your own flesh now? That's ridiculous. And so Paul rebukes them for that. We need to rely upon the Spirit and what the Spirit supplies. And it's not going to be the things that the world esteems. It's going to be different and you can you just read through the book of Acts and look at the things that, the, that God esteems. Look at the way in which the Spirit works. It's not the way the world or the flesh works. And that can be something that's difficult for us at times. Is we don't understand it, and the ways of the Lord are different than our ways. But if we're following the Spirit, then we, just, we, we stay on, on His coattails, if you will, and we just allow Him to lead us into those decisions of our life. And we allow him to, you know, pour his spirit out. And you might be at a place where you're like, yeah, but I've been doing that. And, and now here I am at this, this place and it just doesn't feel like it's going to work out. Oh, don't be foolish. Keep following the spirit. Well, what is the spirit wanting to do? Well, read the Bible. <laughs> read the Bible and find out what the spirit wants to do. Listen to the Holy Spirit give you guidance and direction in your life. And follow it. Well, in verses 3 through 5, we're in chapter 9 of 1 Samuel. Um, we have this one who we just were introduced to. He's tall. He's handsome. Nobody's bigger than him. But he's a terrible keeper of the donkeys. <laughs> okay. I mean, this is kind of, you know what's interesting about this? Like You read all of this. There's like more mention of the donkeys. It's like, okay, all right, enough of the donkey thing. But what you're going to find is that God is going to use everyday circumstances. So despite their desire and going against God's will, God says, all right, I will still choose the guy who it's going to be. And I know what you want, so I'm going to give you what you want. And so, but, but God is going to choose them. But the way that this happens is through just very natural circumstances. I want you to see that. Okay, if, you can, if we can just for a moment put aside the fact that they are not doing what God wants, God is still going to be at work in bringing this guy to him. And so if we can just kind of focus in on that with that overarching mistake that they're making and see that, that yeah, when God moves, sometimes it's just like through the most mundane things of life. I can't find my dumb donkeys. And what's going to happen is that's going to lead him right into the town of Samuel. And it's just, well, what is the significance of that? Well, we're going to see that God warned Samuel the day before that he's coming. And so that which seems so mundane, why am I looking for these dumb donkeys? Three days now I've been looking for these donkeys. And yet God is working and God is moving. Uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot to be said about uh, the mundane. 
You know, when you read the book of Acts, you may get the impression that every single day in the early church was a miracle was happening. I think you would have the wrong conclusion. You can check me on this, but, you know, there's about, there's 28 chapters, and as you go through this, there's, if you, if you measure it out over the time and the history of the, um, of the early church, there was pretty much like, a, like one amazing event per year. Now, they might have all come in clumps, but when you measured it out, just doing the, you know, an overlay of, of the history, it's about one amazing thing a year, which means what? There's a lot of just regular old days. And, and we need to be careful. I mean, do, does God do amazing things? Yes, he does. Should we pray for amazing things? Yes, we should. Should we step out into, you know, those areas where the Lord says he's going to work and, and do something amazing? Yes, we should. But you got to know there's a lot of just regular old days. There's a lot of regular days, and, you, and really the key is to just faithfully walk out those regular days of your Christian experience so that when you lose your donkey and you're just walking through the regular affairs of your life, you can land up right in the middle of where God wants you to be. And maybe you're like, I've been following you for a long time, Lord. What's going on? I don't see anything happening. Just keep following the Lord. So that, that's kind of a, an overlook of what we're going to see happen here. So verse 3, um, you see that um, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. And Kish said to his son, Saul, take a servant, go find the donkeys. <laughs> so they keep on looking for the donkeys. They can't find them, verse 4, at the end of verse 4, but they did not find them. Uh, he says, come, let us return, lest my father cease caring about the donkeys and become worried about us. Just everyday life, right? Uh, verse 6, and he said, look, now there is in the city a man of God, and he is an honorable man, and all that he says surely comes to pass. So let us go there. Perhaps he can show us the way we should go. So they're like, let's go see if this man of God can help us find the donkey. So they, they go, and they're going to end up coming, and they're going to eventually get connected was Samuel. Skip with me down to verse 14. So they went up into the city, and as they were coming into the city, there was Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. All right, high place. Let's just talk about that for a moment before we get back into the story. Because you're like, the high place? What is Samuel doing at the high place? Well, remember, things in Shiloh did not go well. And evidently, what we should assume by this is that the, you know, the worship, the Ark of the Covenant is no longer in Shiloh, right? It's, it's over at you know, this man's house. I forgot his name actually right now. We just studied a few weeks ago. But it, it's over there. It, and it's it's you know, far away from Shiloh. And so Shiloh no longer seems to be a place of great significance. And so they are worshiping at these, um, these physical high places, which should not at this point in time be associated in later history during the, uh, the kings when they were worshiping Canaanite gods. And so this is, this is what's going on in case you're wondering, what's Samuel doing here? It's, a, it's the same words, but it's a different understanding. Okay, So they end up coming to him as he is, is worshiping. Verse 15, now the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came, saying, Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him commander over my people Israel, that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines. For I have looked upon my people, because of their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw uh, Saul, the Lord said to him, There he is, the man whom I spoke to you. This one shall reign over my people. Then Saul drew near to Samuel in the gate and said, Please tell me, where is the seer's house? Or the prophet's house. And Samuel answered and said, I am the seer, I'm the prophet. Go up before me to the high place, for you shall eat with me today, and tomorrow I will let you go and tell you all that is in your heart. So he's just looking for donkeys, but God has something amazing set up. There's an interesting verse in Amos chapter 3, verse 7. Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. Isn't that an interesting verse? God tells his people what he's going to do before he does it. This was so expected by the prophet Elisha that in 2 Kings 4, 26 and 7, 
there's an event going on and the Lord has not told him the secret. And so we read, um, he's speaking to his servant. He says, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, it is well. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near and pushed her away. But the man of God said, let her alone for her soul's in deep distress and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. That statement tells you that he expected to know the secrets. He expected to have that knowledge coming from the Lord. Not that he would be able to gather by observation. Not that it just was intuitive. Not that he had picked up, you know, in the, you know, you know at the city gate. It's knowledge. He expected to have knowledge about why she's coming, and the Lord hasn't said it, and this surprises him. Why? Because, Amos 3, 7, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. And this is exactly what he did with Samuel. He's telling him what's going on. You know, this, this, this knowledge that the Lord gives, I believe, is still a gift that's functioning within the church today. Is it, and I would say, is, yes, this prophecy, but, I, but there's, it's a, I would call it a word of knowledge. When you are given knowledge that you would not otherwise have about certain circumstances, and the Lord drops it in your ear, okay? And it's very specific. It's not like these general kinds of ideas, which the Lord can certainly do that too, but it's a very specific type of information that comes to you that's not through observation. It's not through pondering. It's just like you're going and all of a sudden it's in your ear. And so the Lord does this. I think one of the most dramatic experiences I heard somebody relate was a pastor. I forget which pastor it was, but he's out in California. And um, uh, somebody, he's relating the story of how somebody in his church was um, at work and had been witnessing to this woman and she wasn't at work that day. And the Lord said, she is having an abortion. He's like, why would I think that? And so he just went on about his work. And all day long, she's having an abortion. She's having an abortion. And it just kind of mounts in his heart and begins to be like a swell. You know what I'm talking about? And it, just, it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger in his mind. And so he goes home that day and he calls her. And you can imagine what that phone call would have been like, right? As he's calling her, and she answers the phone. And he goes, hey, this is whatever, you know, Roger. And I know she weren't at work today. And she goes, yeah, I wasn't feeling well. I went, had a doctor's appointment. He goes, I know where you were. You were having an abortion. And the Lord wanted me to let you know that he loves you. And he wants you to give your life to him. She's like, how did you know that? Nobody knows that. He's like, the Lord told me. And she ended up giving her life to the Lord. And so, you know, this is something that the Lord does. Now, do people abuse this? Yeah, they, yeah people abuse it. But you know what? If the Lord puts it in your ear, then, then, then act upon it. If it's just a wild imagination, don't act on it, okay? For all of our sakes, please do not act on it. But if the Spirit of the Lord is putting that in your ear, well, surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. The Lord does this. And so... They've, they've met up through regular old circumstances of losing donkeys, but there's that sovereign side of the prophecy in telling Samuel exactly what's going to happen. So if you're just walking through the mundane right now, that's all right. That's all right. Just keep doing that. Keep following the Lord because the moment will come when the Lord's going to show up on that path and he's going to do what he's promised to do in your life. So we keep on looking there in uh, chapter 9, we are at verse 20 through 24, and Samuel is going to show honor to him, and he says, but as for your donkeys, they were lost three days ago. Do not be anxious about them, for they've been found, and on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? And Saul's like, are you crazy? And Saul says, I'm a Benjamite of the smallest of the tribes of Israel, and my family, the least of all the families. Who does he sound like right here? Sounds like Gideon, doesn't he? Of the tribe of Benjamin. Why do you speak to me like this? Why are you showing me this kind of honor? And Samuel took Saul and his servant and brought them into the hall and had 
them sit in the place of honor among those who are invited, and he gives them the largest piece of meat. And so Saul eats with them that day. You are the desire of Israel. You're, you're the one that they want. They're, they're, they want a king. You're the one that they're looking for. They don't know your name yet, but you're going to be the guy. And so um, then in verses, to the last, uh, verses of chapter 9, um, he's now headed away. And um, we read verse 27, as they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to go ahead of us. And he went on, but you stand here a while that I may announce to you the word of God. What I have to tell you, I'm going to tell you in private. So chapter 10, verse 1, we see Samuel anoint Saul. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance. Can you imagine what Saul's thinking right here? Like, what is happening? What, what's going on? I mean, I mean, the desire of Israel. And now the man of God, the prophet, is anointing me and saying, I'm going to be the guy? It's pretty amazing that this is taking place and that he is going to be the one. What a what a privilege and an honor still, despite the overall arching circumstances of their decision, that he is going to have the chance to lead the people of God. And he had every opportunity to lead Israel well. He could have opened up the law and read it and followed it. He could have continually come before the Lord and said, Lord, you've anointed me. This is nothing that I sought after. You are the king that we need, Lord. You are the one. But Lord, as you've put me in this position... And he could, have, he could have humbled himself every day of his life to have led the nation well. He's not going to do that. He's not going to do that, unfortunately. But we need to walk humbly in those roles that the Lord has given to us. We need to be amazed in honor, honor that he allows us to do anything, 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 set up chairs. Who, who are any of us? to mess with God's furniture. It's, a way, it's way above any of our pay grade, okay? To do the least of the works in the kingdom of God are so far over our, our pay grade. It's like, well, I don't know. I've got, I've got, you, do you know my education? I don't have to know your education because I know who you're working for. And who you're working for is the king of kings. He's the creator of the universe. And that he would ask us to touch anything that has to do with his kingdom be blown away. And if you're the place, well, I'm so displeased with what God's asked me to do. Well, that's why you're probably doing what you're doing. And when you get to the place where you can be, just be blown away and amazed that God has let you do anything in his kingdom, well, now you're entering to that place of faithfulness. And if you're faithful with the small, he will allow you to touch other things of his kingdom. Chapter 10, as we, we're in chapter 10 looking at this, um, anointing of, of uh, King uh, of Saul, um, not expecting it. Um, then he tells him in verse 8 to go and to wait in Gilgal. And then he's going to tell him, he's going to prophesy of some very specific things. Because as you can imagine, <laughs> Saul's like, this dude's crazy. I mean, I know he's a man of God, but something is not right with him. Why is he doing this? And so look at verse 9. So it was when he had turned back to go to, uh, from Samuel that God gave him another heart. And all the signs that he said was going to take place, right? And those go back to um, um, oh man, where am I? Verses one, uh, verses two through seven of chapter ten. He gives him like these very specific things that are going to take place. Um, he says that uh, you're going to two men are going to come and they're going to give you. Um, in this town at Rachel's tomb, they're going to give you two, uh, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get um, your donkeys. Um, in verses three and four, at Bethel, um, at the tree of Tabor, okay, very specific, um, you're going to be greeted and you're going to be given two loaves of bread. In verses five and six, you're going to meet prophets, you're going to start worshiping with them and prophesying um, with them. The Spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. And um, you can know all of this because verse seven, um, this is going to take place. So now in verses 9 through 16, I kind of jumped the gun a little bit there. Now in verses 9 through 16, it all happens. 
It all happens. Verse 9, so it was when he turned back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. Ah, so he's not crazy. God is doing something. I mean, those are very specific prophecies, aren't they? And when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him, and the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened all when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, but who is their father? Therefore, it became a proverb, is Saul also among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. Again, don't think the Canaanite high place. Verse 14, then Saul's uncle, very suspicious, said to his servant, where did you go? (laughs) So he said, to look for donkeys. When they saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you. So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found, but about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. So he's not going to reveal everything. And so Samuel, in verses 17 through 27, is going to formally talk about how he has uh, been rejected by the tribes of Israel. And he has uh, anointed Saul, Samuel in private, but now there, it's going to be more public. So they get to verse 17. This is in Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But today you've rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. In other words, no, we don't want you. We want a king. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. So Samuel's going to pick them. And so he goes through this process. And what we find is that he came to the tribe of Benjamin. And then he called for the family of Matri. And then they look to choose Saul, but he was hiding in the equipment closet. Verse 22. And, you know, so you look at Saul in the beginning. It's like, well, all right, he's, you know, he's not seeking this. He's chosen by the Lord. He's anointed. He still can't believe this. He's like, you got to be out of your mind. I'm, I'm not that kind of a guy. And then when he finds out it's going to happen, he's hiding. There seems to be a humility about him. But that's a humility that's got to be maintained, right? It's got to be maintained. So verse 23, so they ran and brought him from there. They brought the biggest, tallest guy, most bashful guy in Israel. And he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to the people, do you see whom the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted, long live the king. Then Samuel explained to the people the, the behavior of the royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. In verses 26 and 27, some like it, some don't. Well, welcome to leadership. That's the way it goes. Chapter 11, uh, Saul is going to be embraced as the king by the nation. So they had this kind of like, here's your king, and then it just kind of like everybody goes away. So Now in chapter 11, there's going to be an event. It's going to be uh, Nahash the Ammonite is going to come up against Jabesh Gilead, and they're going to uh, look to destroy them. And now Saul's going to step up, and he's going to lead the nation. And uh, Nahash the Ammonite um, comes there to Jabesh, and he says, Listen, uh, I'll make a deal with you. If you surrender, um, I won't kill you, but I'm going to pluck out your right eye. And you, then you can be my servants. They're like, uh, we want to think about that for a minute. <laughs> and so, can you hold off for seven days, verse 3? This guy's so confident, he's like, take all the time you want. And so, they, they do this, and they, they, they reach out to Saul. And what is interesting is that he's the king of Israel. So, in your mind, maybe you have just put Saul into the palace. There's a problem. There is no palace, Right? 
And so last time we saw Saul, he was taking care of the donkeys. Now he's a king of Israel, and we're going to see that he's going to be coming out of the field. Um, and this, this is, you know, this is his job. He was a shepherd. He was taking care of the flock. And so he comes out. Um, verse 5, it says, Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, What troubles the people? That they weep. And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news. And his anger was greatly aroused. And so he takes a yoke and divides it up, sends it to Israel and says, You better come fight or this is what you're going to look like. And so 330,000 people say, We don't want to look like that. We'll come fight with you. And so he is, has the Spirit of the Lord come upon him? This is something that we read about a lot in Scripture, don't we? Um, in the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of the Lord coming upon certain individuals. Um, but today, it's a, different, it's a different experience for us. And in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then in Acts chapter 2, they're gathered in the upper room. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them, right? Verse 3, uh, Acts 2, 3. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues and, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they have this experience. And then people begin to say, what in the world is going on? And then Peter explains in verse 17, well, verse 16 of chapter 2. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit, what does it say? On all flesh. See, prior to this, the spirit of God was not being poured out upon all flesh. But on the day of Pentecost, the spirit of the Lord is coming upon all people. And, and, and Joel doubles down on this when he says it'll be poured out on all flesh. He says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and, and old men shall dream dreams. On my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. In what days? Our days. The days that we are living in right now. So you may read of how the spirit comes upon King Saul and you're like, wow, that's awesome. Only if. No, it's not only if. It is now. This is the age in which the Spirit of God comes upon all people. That, now, all people that are in Christ, right? And, and so there's this a power that comes upon a person's life. It is available for all. Now, there's a great debate that takes place in the church that once you get saved, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon all people and you have all things that you need and there is no further experience to look for. Um, can the Spirit come upon you as well as dwelling within you at the moment of your salvation? Yeah, you can. The house of Cornelius had that experience. They, while Peter was still preaching, they believed, and the Holy Spirit came upon them in the exact moment. It's Acts chapter 10. You can read it into the, into the chapter. And, and so they have the Spirit come upon them, just like Joel said would happen. But sometimes... It, there's, there's time in between it. Um, in Acts chapter 8, in Samaria, they, they, they believe in the Lord. Peter and John come and they baptize them, water baptize them. Uh, excuse me, they're water baptized. And then later, Peter and John come and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. They had believed and been baptized, but the Spirit had not come upon them. I think you can read Acts chapter 19. When Paul meets some disciples of John and inquires of them and said, do you know about the Holy Spirit? We don't know about the Holy Spirit. He goes, well, let me tell you about him. And then as you read the story, then the Spirit comes upon them and they begin to prophesy and, and so forth. So some will say, no, it happens all at the same time. I'll tell you from my own experience, which is not doctrine, but my experience can be proven from the Word of God that I was a believer for a long time before I had the, the Holy Spirit come upon my life in power. I'm not saying I was powerless. I'm just saying I had lived my life for the Lord. I had walked. I had led people to salvation, led them to the Lord and all the rest. But I can tell you there came a time when the Holy Spirit came upon my life. And I will tell you, it was unlike any other moment in my Christian life up until that moment. 
And I know that the Lord came upon me. So people can say, and they, you know, there's all kinds of books, and maybe you would even say, no, this can't happen at a later time. And it, quietly, you can know what I'm thinking. I'm laughing, saying, you don't know what you're talking about. I have the word of God that shows me that this happened, and I have my own testimony and experience. And I'm telling you, there is a power that came upon my life with gifts following. Now, I, you know, when that happened, I mean, I, I was praying for, I knew they were going to have a, a moment and, you know, at this meeting where you could be prayed for to receive the Holy Spirit and come upon your life. And I, I believed that that's what needed. I felt the call of God in the ministry. I, wanted, I was teaching the Bible. And I was like, man, I, if I'm going to be a pastor, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But if you're going to be a Christian and you're going to be obedient, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I called upon the Lord and you, some of you, I've shared this testimony, I'm just going to condense it, but I'm telling you that the Spirit came upon me and um, in ways that I didn't even understand at the time. And so that was a Friday night, and myself and uh, Pastor Calvary Chapel of Vero Beach, Jim Gallagher, um, we did a home fellowship at Christy Gallagher. At, well, she wasn't Christy Gallagher then. She became Christy Gallagher. It was a very effective home fellowship for, for Jim. Um, <laughs> And uh, he ended up marrying, um, you know, her. And, uh, and so it was that night. It was time to, uh, for home fellowship. And it was my turn to, to lead it. And as we were, I was leading, I was just a kid, man. I was just, I was like 17 or 18 years old. And I was like, hey, let's pray for each other. Who has a prayer need? And so we said, all right, you know, what we used to do? All right, get in the middle of the circle and everybody lay hands on him. We pray for him. And the Lord gave me something to say to him. I can't, don't ask me what. I can't remember. And so the whole night turned into this and the Lord was giving me these words of encouragement and, and stuff. And then the last person that asked for it, so will you pray for me? And, you know, I'm not understanding. I'm like, I'm looking for my donkeys, okay? I'm just praying. I don't understand what is happening here, but everybody else seems to understand. And so... Um, I prayed for this, this young girl, and she said to me, she goes, well, aren't you going to say something to me afterwards? I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, well, you said something to everybody after you prayed for them. What do you have to say to me? I said, it's not good. She goes, I know. What is it? And I'm like, well, the Lord says, if you don't repent, you're, you're going to be removed. And I said, I don't know what that means. And, and, you know, that's exactly what ended up happening to her. So <laughs> my youth pastor, um, Richard Cimino, he... Um, he comes up to me probably on the Wednesday night um, at youth group, and he says, hey, I heard you were like prophesying and stuff the other night. I'm like, well, it wasn't. He goes, no, that's what I heard. I go, well, who told you that? And he says, well, everybody's talking about what you, you know, how the Lord used you that night. I'm like, well, I just prayed for people and said stuff that was in my mind. He's like, yeah, but that's the gift. And he had to explain it all to me. And I can tell you that it was that, and there were other things, and I, I would want to make you jealous for all that the Holy Spirit has for your life. Your experience doesn't need to look like mine, okay? That's not the point of this. But it is to tell you that there is, just as King Saul had the Spirit come upon him to do this work, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon all flesh. Sons and daughters, old people, young people, and you need to, you need to pray for that. He's like, well, I believe it all happens at the same time. Okay, fine. I have no argument with you. I just have one other question. Do you know the power of God upon your life? Because if you don't know the power of God upon your life, and you're arguing that the power of God's upon your life, do you feel the inconsistency there? <laughs> so whatever you want to call it, you can call it. But this is what God, Acts chapter 2, says he's doing in the last days. And if that was true for, you know, 33 A.D., when that event takes place, what does that mean for our day? Aren't we a little further along in the last days than they were? So it's, the, it's not like it becomes less and less the further you go along. It's like for the last days, and we are living in the last days, and this is what is needed. Well, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon uh, King Saul, gives him a battle plan, says, hey, tell them you're going to go out there and fight them, verses uh, 9 through 11. Um, he says, tell them you're going to go out there and fight them. And then eventually he takes the army, divides them into three different camps, uh, or uh, uh, three different uh, attack groups, and they end up coming and totally wiping out 
the Ammonites that had come against them. And so the Lord um, did a great work through their brand new shiny king, Saul. And so, verse 12, then the people said to Samuel, who is he who said, shall Saul reign over us? So that group that was like, ah, we don't want him. Remember I said some, you know, welcome to leadership. Some people like him, some don't. And he said, bring him here that we may put him to death. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Oh, Saul, where, can't you stay like this? Because he's actually going to become the guy that seeks to kill those that he feel are a th- feels that are a threat. You know, last thing, we're not going to go to chapter 12, but I just want to, just, I want to close here with this. When you step into leadership, you are responsible to do the right thing. And even if everybody's singing your praises and they're wanting to do, have you do something or do something for you and you remain silent, you're guilty. You're required to not only do the right thing, but you are required to make certain that the wrong thing is not done. And so I can still think of a brother that's, that you know, ended up in ministry demise. And I remember the day I talked to him and I said, why are you letting people do this for you? And I'm not going to go into the details of it because if I was to tell you, it wouldn't sound significant, but I knew that it was, it was a warning sign. I go, why are you letting them say these things about you? Why are you letting them do that? He goes, I'm not asking them to do it. It's just they want to do it. And I said, I know you very well and you give explicit directions to tell them what to do and not to do, but you're allowing them to do this. Why are you doing that? I said, you better be warned, this is going to be a problem. And so, you know, we, we're in these situations, and you, 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 you're responsible to make certain that people do the right thing around you, even if it kind of is a self-serving agenda that they have. And King Saul, man, he, he steps up, and he hits it out of the park. He's like, this is not going to happen. I did nothing here today. <laughs> Me? I didn't do anything. God brought the salvation. Nobody is going to be harmed. And so they end up having a great victory. And so chapter 9, Saul, or Samuel anointed Saul privately. In chapter 10, Samuel is selected as king. And now here in chapter 11, he's the guy. He's had his moment. He's proven that he is the king. And um, we'll pick up the story next week. But I don't want to go any further than this right now. Because I'll end up just rushing but let's go ahead and let's go to the Lord. And there's a, quite a few lessons that we've talked about already. Maybe you're, you're kicking and screaming for a king. Maybe you're kicking and screaming to be like the world. You want what's out there. And you're asking for it. And, and you're warned in your spirit. Don't, don't, don't keep doing that. Want what the Lord wants. Want what the Lord wants when he wants it. And want what the Lord wants the way he wants to do it. Just take your hands off and say, I have no say. I want what you want. I'm not going to kick and I'm not going to scream. And I'm not going to whine like a baby anymore. Lord, I surrender to you. Let's go to the Lord and prayer worship team. Come on up. Father, we thank you for these lessons that are given to us. We trust in you, Lord. Our eyes are upon you. Lord, we want to just say so clearly, we want you as king. Lord, we're glad that you raise up people according to your wisdom and you put judges over Israel when it was time Lord we trust in your ways we don't want to do it the way the world wants to do it or is doing it Lord we want to do it in the way that the spirit is leading us we don't want to begin in the spirit and be made perfect in the flesh so Lord we surrender Lord we we just we're silent before you and just say, do your will. And if that's you, just surrender it to the Lord. Quit kicking, quit fighting. Be glad that you got a king that's willing to raise up a way to get his work accomplished. Maybe you're here tonight and you're like, man, I need the spirit of the Lord to come upon me. What Jesus promised he would do and accomplished in Acts chapter 2 and 
Joel the prophet said was for the last days. I mean, I'm a, you, maybe you say I'm a believer. I'm definitely a believer, but man, I do not know the power of God upon my life. I don't know those gifts functioning in my life. I don't, I don't see that dynamic. I don't know what all the reasons may be. Maybe you've just walked away from it. Uh, or maybe you just never have received that dynamic of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been taught that it, it happens as salvation and you shouldn't look for it at any other time, I'm telling you that's not true. It can happen then, for sure. I can show you in Scripture. But I can also show you in Scripture when it happens after. But really the point is, forget the doctrinal argument, let me just ask this. Is the power of God upon your life? <laughs> because this is what God said He's going to do in the last days. So you can argue theology all you want, but at the end of the day, are you walking uh, under the power of the Holy Spirit? Is he upon you? And if he is, praise the Lord. Walk in those gifts. But if you're at a place where you're like, nah, it's just a mystery. Well, don't let it be a mystery. Come to the Lord. Jesus is the baptizer. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is what John said, right? John baptized into the element of water. I will baptize you into the water, but Jesus baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. 